Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Consistent Challenges and Thoughts, Part 4. We're going to conclude Chapter 27, and we may even be exciting enough, excited enough to begin Chapter 28. I'd like to begin by sharing about this week's Torah portion, a fascinating insight. You know, the Torah portion is called Shlach. Send. Send what? Send spies. This week's Torah portions we learn about spies. About the Jewish... When Moses, when Moshe went ahead and sent 12 spies in, into Israel to scout out the land. The spies were there for 40 days and nights. And they came back with their report that Israel is is un we're not going to be able to conquer it. Jewish people cried and God said... Thus, those that cried are going to die in the desert and remain in the desert for 40 years. An easy way to remember, a day for a year. Each one of the days that the spies were in Israel created one year in the desert. They were there for 40 days and nights, and thus the Jewish people spent the next 40 years in the desert. So that's the story. It's an important story. Um, there's many messages from the story. It's always... Trust that God could take you through whatever it is. But it's, it's a sad story. And yet, it's the name of the Torah portion. You know, the Torah portion is beautiful. It talks about the mitzvah of Chala. It talks about so many beautiful mitzvot. The story of the spies is the beginning of it. So why are you entitling the whole Torah portion with such a sad and bad name as sending the spies and the terrible outcome where the spies themselves died a horrific death? Why are you calling everything inside of it by such a bad name? Today, this morning, I was privileged to see a wonderful model lesson in our school from a teacher. And one of the things the teacher did is he sat students down, he gave, the, he gave them four passages and said, what's, how, if you're writing a book on these four passages, what's your name of your book? What's, come with a title. Why are we choosing such a sad title for this book? Question clear? Well, the simple answer is because it's the first, it's from the beginning of the Torah portion. Whatever the first word is, that's the name of the Torah portion. That's a hoax. Although, generally the name is from right away within the first two um, sentences, nonetheless, if it's a name, it must be an appropriate name. Everything is divine providence, and the fact that everything within is called sending messengers must be an overall message on everything within the Torah portion. And here we learn something outstanding. What was the sin of the spies? What did they do wrong? I tell, I tell Reb David, I say, David, go to Baruch's house and see how fortified it is and if we could conquer it. And you go to... I, I apologize, I need to requote that. I say, go to David's house and tell me how strong it is. So David goes to Baruch's house and he tells me, it is really strong. There is no way you're going to conquer it. But... If God tells the spies to go and deliver a report and Moshe knows they're supposed to go, why does he ask their opinion? All he needs to do is say, give me a report, and then we'll figure out how we're going to go in. God says we're going to go, that's good enough. Is that a question or an answer? Yes. <laughs> no, because that was a question and it was an answer. So we'll, we'll focus on that in a minute. 
I gave David instructions to go to Baruch's house and see if it's fortified. He comes back and says, it is fortified, you're not going to conquer it. Okay, David, you did a good job. Success. But now not only does God say the spies did a good job, He says, they did a terrible job, they're going to die. And all the Jewish people are going to suffer. What happened wrong? What was the mistake here? Can I... Please. Was it because he he did he gave more of the report than was asked? He didn't just say it was fortified. He says you're not going to conquer it. Fantastic. The second half. That was the point. Yes, that is fantastic. I told David to go to Baruch's house and tell me how strong it is. That's all I want to know. I don't care what what you think. God said you'll exactly like David told us momentarily ago. <laughs> Let's put it in Baruch's perspective. I have a divine inspiration from God that I'm going to be able to conquer Baruch's house. So then, I don't care if his house is fortified or not. I just That's not going to make a difference whether or not I'm going to conquer it. It's just going to make a difference what type of preparation I'm preparing for. But either way, God told this to me. When God told the spi- Moshe told the spies, go to Israel... He didn't tell them, tell me if I could conquer it. I'm going to conquer it. All I want to know from you is what type of fortifications it has. And by the way, I'm guilty of this, and many of us are. You're asked a question, and you completely digress from that question. You completely sidetrack. You know, it's called free advice, right? Someone says, uh, where's Albertson? You say, Albertson's, it's over there. By the way, it's not a good store. That wasn't my question. Wasn't my, wasn't, w- w- this always happens. You know? It's like, what do you think about the Safeway Deli? I can say this now. Like, if someone says, what do you think about the Safeway Deli? Sorry, how, what's the directions to the Safeway Deli? Well, it's on Barber. Terrible food. You know, it's like, that wasn't the question. wasn't the answer. That's the difference between Jews and Gentiles. Wait a minute. Explain that. <laughs> a Gentile will say it's down the street. A Jew says, and by the way, the food is awful. <laughs> so the spies came back giving, not fulfilling what they were requested of. The request was, tell me it's about its fortifications. When I was a student, I still remember this teacher. She got me so mad. She gives us an assessment and says, do not... Start filling it out until you reach the end and read all the instructions. And like an average child, I read each question, I start answering it, and then at the end of the assessment it said, this was just to see if you would get to the end. You don't need to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) You've seen that before. You've heard of it? I was like, ah. So, Hashem sent them on a mission. They came back with good information, but they added more on their own. Okay. But what did they do wrong? What was their real mistake? Why did they believe? They knew God said, we're, we're going to conquer it. So why, why didn't they believe that? What was their mistake? The mistake of the spies was that they learned what the Talmud says. The Talmud says, We don't rely on miracles. As Jewish people, we don't rely on miracles. We live miracles, we don't rely on them. We have to prepare for life. We have to prepare for the eventuality. But we trust that the miracle is going to happen. Let me give you an example. Before the Six-Day War, 
the Israeli government went to public parks with the, with the chief rabbi's assistance and they designated which parks are going to become the official graveyards for the thousands of soldiers that are going to die during this war. Thank God a miracle happened. But unfortunately they prepared for another eventuality also. We, we trust in miracles, but we don't solely rely on them. So the angels read this quote, so you don't rely on miracles, and they said, okay, if we don't rely on miracles, we are not going to get into Israel. It's not going to happen. <laughs> because it's fortified, God may have said we're going to get there, but we, He has to keep His own rules. His, his rule book says, we don't rely on miracles. But if you don't rely on miracles, but you're going to hope for a miracle, how long is it that you are going to hope for a miracle before you realize that? Well, I mean, one of two things is going to happen. I don't want to try and sound like I'm, you know, um, doubting, but if it, it just seems like you're hoping for something, and if you keep hoping, it'll happen. That's the theory, right? And if that's the theory, then how long is that supposed to be? How long could we believe without giving up hope? Is that your question? No, I wouldn't say giving up hope because I don't want to give up hope. I, but I'll be honest, you know, sometimes you, you start to lose hope. And you didn't give it up. It's just not, you know... Hold on to your question. With everyone's permission, in about five minutes when we can conclude this topic, I'd like to sing a song. I think that song will answer your question. Yeah. With your permission, yes, David. The overwhelming and overweening consideration, as I understand Judaism, and as I have gleaned in studying it, that above all else... One must have faith before hope, before pessimism, before cynicism, before anything. Mm -hmm. One must have faith. That's the paramount issue. As to whether or not a miracle will or will not be performed, you have to trust in Hashem. There's an old Yiddish story, there's no such thing as a new Yiddish story, about a very famous rabbi, the king heard about him, and he called him and he says, oh, I want you to teach my monkey to talk in, uh, in two years, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. So right away the word went out and he came home and his wife was renting her garments in mourning and the kids were all upset. And he said, not to worry, Hashem will provide. He said, in two years the king could be dead. In, years, in two years I could be dead. In two years the monkey could be dead. Or in two years the monkey could learn to talk. So you have to have faith and you proceed because life is going to go on whether or not you believe in a miracle but regardless of how life goes on, you must have faith, and that's in the very essence of Shema Yisroel. Thank you for that. Well, for next week, my exodus will be on. <laughs> Back to the spies. Tell, the spies are saying we don't rely on miracles. <laughs> they, they were correct. That's what the Talmud says. What was their mistake? They were doubting. 
with more than that. Their mistake was... <laughs> I understand, but they were familiar... Their mistake was that when we learn you don't rely on miracles, the message is you have to do what you can do. But God will do the rest. We don't rely on miracles means don't sit back and wait. If God told you to conquer Israel, so relying on a miracle would be, oh, I'm just going to walk inside and, and I'm going to... No. Don't relying on miracles means prepare for war. But Hashem will help you. You, need, you and I, we all need to do our part. And so when, they, when the spies came back saying, you're not, you're not going to get in, no. That was completely going against the will of God. God says, you need to do your part and I will do my part. We're going to learn about this inside of Tanya momentarily. You do your part and I will do the rest, says God. I quoted last week. If God says, if you open up for me like the hole of a needle, I will open up an opening as big as 150 feet by 100 feet, the opening of the ulam, the opening of the holy holies within the temple. You give me the space of a needle, I'll give you, what do they say? You give me five minutes, I'll give you the world. What's the quote from? Something like that. You give me the space of a needle, God says, you do your part, and I will do my part. So, so now, how does it, why is this week's Torah portion called Shalach, spies, and it's inclusive of everything because the message is tremendous. The message is not a message of the, the story of the spies is a, is a message and an influence on our day-to-day -day life. The message is we do our part but God will do the rest. <laughs> That's a beautiful message. I got a question though. In this particular story, you come back and you say it is really fortified. It's fortified so strong. I don't think we can get through how are you supposed to prepare? Maybe it's all in the confusion of they don't know how to prepare to go forward because it seems impossible to them. And so just in the impossibility in their vision, they don't know how to prepare. Just to... You know, I think actually the Six Day War is maybe a good example. The Six Day War was impossible. But Israel... It worked. Eretz Israel, the land which God is watching every moment, it was impossible. But they made an impossible plan. Hashem is, telling, is Hashem is telling you in this story, for, do your part, make a plan, and, and I'll, I'll make it succeed. But make a plan. With Get all due respect, it's not just the Six-Day War. And it's not just this story. Go back. There's no, it's no small reason that the name of the anthem is Satikva. We have, to, we have to trust and hope in God, yes, the, the other yes. The thing about the spies is they all had experienced miracles. Yes, previously. yes, yes. So that, so that, I mean, it's not like, you know, it would be one of us or something like that. You know, but they had actually experienced miracles. So. It's, it's a very, I appreciate that, they had seen yeah. miracles, it's a very tough topic. Uh, let me summarize this point. Together, I'd like to sing a song, and then we're going to put it back into time. You're going to see it's going to flow right in. We asked, why is a Torah portion, which talks about beautiful ideas, called spies, sending the spies, which is something so negative and tragic, and we shared. That the story of the spies tells us that we need to do our part, but God will do the rest. 
It may seem impossible to conquer Israel, but the God is not telling you that you need to do this on your own. God will do the rest. You need to do your part. We do our part, and God will do the rest. I have a question about that. Okay, I'm going to take one question. <laughs> I'm going to take a song, and then, but I'd really like to move on. Yes, Liz. Um, I don't even know how to say it. But, like, what I was talking about earlier, um, it, occur it actually did occur to me, you know, when, when this was going on, that um, something, if, if something's wrong, if something's not going right, if something is a problem, whatever it is, that, that's you, that's me, that's a human, that's whoever. But when something goes right out of that wrong, that's God taking over. And I appreciate that point. That I mean, I that like came to me the other day, and it kind of kind of fits in, I think, a little bit with what you're saying now. Thank you. So, thank you for sharing that. The song goes like this: A child alone on the shore, waving a light up so high to signal a ship that no one can see in a rough, empty ocean. And thick darkened sky As every sailor passes by They signal the boy with the light Why, little one, do you stand at your post in a When there's nothing and no one in sight? The young boy looked up, his face all aglow, waving his small lantern above and below. Please wait here with me, the ship you will see. Dear child, explain to me, how do you know? I'm firm in my faith, the answer is near. I am so very certain the ship will appear. The captain has told me and promised he'll come. Of course I believe him, for I am his son. Beautiful song. It's a camp song, but uh, the, pa the message is very powerful. So if you ha didn't hear the story, it's a story of a young child waving a light. And everyone says, you're wasting your time. And he says, no, my, my father is the captain of the ship. He's told me he's going to come. Hashem is our father. And uh, it could take as long as it will take, but we trust him. And we're going to keep, we're going to stick it out as long as it takes. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you asking. Let's continue. We're back in the Tanya we were talking about. Consistent challenges, constant. And we've explained that 
When you have a challenge and you overpower it, you're bringing the glory of God and His holiness down into this world. And then we continued that when you do something proactive, you take something permissible, you push off your meal an hour, you go ahead and hold yourself back from saying something that you could have, you hold yourself back from thinking of something that you could have thought. It's not a prohibited thought, but it's just not for right now. In all of those cases, again, you've taken godly, godliness, brought it down here in the greatest way. Page 120, right-hand column, this is also. We've just concluded that if you do your little part down here, you invest a dollar, God gives you back four billion. Let's look, let's go back. Before we start from this is also on page 120, let's go back to four lines from the bottom of the previous paragraph. And from this holiness, holiness issues a sublime holiness, meaning from the holiness what you have accomplished, from your small act, you're bringing down a sublime holiness on man below, and that sublime holiness is going to assist him with a great and powerful aid in serving him who is blessed. If you do your little part, all of a sudden you're going to get this tremendous aid. So continues the Tanya, this is also what the rabbis meant. If a man consecrates himself in a small measure down below, he is sanctified much more from above. Sanctify yourself a little bit and God will do the rest. Put in a little holiness, your investment is going to reap unbelievable rewards. In addition to this, that when you do something positive, you're rewarded with an unbelievable aid. In addition, you're also fulfilling a command, apart from his having fulfilled the positive commandment of the Torah, sanctify yourself and you shall be holy. The Torah tells us, in Leviticus 27, the Torah shares that you shall sanctify yourselves and you shall be holy. It's repetitive. If you sanctify yourself, hopefully you will be holy. Why do you mean sanctify yourself and you shall be holy? Tremendous. God is telling you, sanctify yourself. You do your part and I'll do the rest. You will be holy. You sanctify yourself. I'll take care of it. You will then be holy. Sanctify yourself and you shall be holy. By dedicating himself through holding back impermissible things, you are sanctifying yourself and making yourself holy. And that's what the Tani continues. The meaning of sanctify yourself is that you shall make yourself holy. That is to say, although in truth one is not holy, we're stuck in the dirt. And we're not separated from the Sitra Achara, for it is at its strength and might as its birth. In the left part, your left, the left ventricle of your heart is on fire in a negative area. Nonetheless, you do your part, make yourself, you, um, sanctify yourself. You're stuck in the mud, but you sanctify yourself. Yet one subdues his evil impulse and sanctifies himself. 
then you shall be holy. That is to say, in the end one will be truly holy and separated from the Sitra Akhara. You will get there. You will, uh, you will get to the impossible. You see, it's not a ladder. Oftentimes we think life is a ladder. You get to one rung, you get to the next. There's no ladder here. It's a diving board, or it's like a... It's, it's, it's much bigger than a ladder. If, if you get to... Do you remember Mario? Do you know Mario, the game? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how if you would get to, like, to a certain place, it would automatically like, pick you up high? Mm -hmm. Like if you would... If you reach a certain point, you just get... All of a sudden, there's like an elevator taking you... It's, it's not logical. It's not that you got to this level, so now you've... There's no achievement. You do your part, and God will take, sanctify yourself, and you will become holy. By virtue of being sanctified in a great measure from above. Your little action here brought about a lot of sanctification from above, and being helped to expel it from his heart little by little. Excuse me. Please. Amazing. You do your part exactly like we said before by the spies. God is not telling you you need to do it. You're not on your own, right, Yishai? You're not here. You're never on your own. Don't you know you're never alone? Doesn't matter where you are, God is with you. You do your part and God will do the rest. So before I kind of summarize this and, and, and see where we're holding, are there any questions? No. Let's try and put a wrap-up on this chapter. Let's try and... Let's try and put a wrap-up on this chapter. We began sharing that if you have neg these negative challenges and thoughts in prohibited things, so we shared every time you overcome a negative, uh, a prohibited challenge, meaning a, every time you overcome a challenge in a prohibited area, you are fulfilling the commandment not to follow your eyes and your heart. And on top of that, you're drawing down the glory of God down here. That's if you overcome a prohibited thought. But even greater is to overcome a permissible thought. If you overcome a permissible thought, something that is not prohibited, but still you shouldn't be thinking, talking, or doing that, so then you're fulfilling an additional mitzvah, another mitzvah, the mitzvah is to sanctify yourself. Sanctify yourself in things that are... You can't sanctify yourself by... by you don't sanctify yourself by, by not doing bad. When the Torah says sanctify yourself, Sanctify yourself by doing something special. By holding yourself back from saying what you wanted to say. By really... So, if you... When you don't do something bad, you've done the myth of not following your eyes and your heart, and you've brought down the glory of godliness down here. But when you, hold, when you do something good... When you're proactive, you fulfill the, another command of sanctify yourself, and on top of that, you bring down godliness in an, in an even greater way. 
plus you get this energy of God that supports you to go even further. So, in summary, what we've learned is there is a greater energy when we work on the positive over working on the negative. In other words, if we could be proactive, like there's a lot, right, a constant in today's day and age, you hear a lot, be proactive, not reactive. If we are just holding ourselves back from evil, that's one very tremendous important step. But an even greater step is when we are actually being proactive. Dr. Malov, I hear a question. (laughs) I see a question. You heard well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, could you give an example of... um, You said, well... There, there was something would be permissive, something would be permitted, but nevertheless, you really shouldn't do it. Yeah. So could you give an example of that? Uh, or you should do something else instead, maybe. Yes. Uh, is, is it? You are. Well, I'll first tell you the example Tanya gives, and then we'll try maybe to apply it to ourselves. The example Tanya gives is that you wake up in the morning and you want to eat something. So you say, you know what? For God, I'm going to hold back on this eating. I'm going to eat after I dive in. You know, because there's a law. You shouldn't eat a real meal before you dive in, a full meal. But you're allowed to have a snack that's going to... You're allowed to have a snack. Let me remove that example. Because that's, I'm, I'm, I'm getting caught up in a few technical laws. So let's move that example. You just finished praying. No question, according to all authorities, you could eat. But you say, you know what? Before I eat, I'm going to sit now and learn for an hour. Dr. Madlov, your enemy is going to eat the same meal. It's just if I'm going to eat it now or an hour later. It's completely permissible. But if you say, for the sake of God, I'm now going to stay here and eat and learn for one more hour and then eat, that is something proactive. That is something positive. That would be an example. Another example would be where you're thinking about nature and you're taking a walk and you're enjoying the nature, which is a very beautiful thing. But instead of that, you say, you know, I'm going to be proactive and on my walk, I'm going to think thoughts of Torah. It's a whole other step now. So taking that additional step brings you a tremendous aid from God. Was that a fair example? No, I just want to go back to that example so you know. If someone needs, sometimes you need a break. Your mind needs a a mental break in order to be able to continue. If that's where you are, so then the break is appropriate. But if you're just taking a Shabbos walk, so take a Shabbos walk. And you could think about the world around you, or you could focus on something godly. So at that point, you've just taken an additional step. Clear? Can I... Throwing a different example of the same, going for a walk. Because I'm just curious, you know, is it all about the thinking of God? Or you go for a walk, and as you go for a walk, you see garbage on the side, and you decide, okay, 
this is God's world, I'm going to pick up the garbage and leave it in a more beautiful state. Is that the same? So, if you go ahead and you're cleaning up, you're cleaning up the dirt on the floor, which is a special thing, it's an appropriate thing, I'm just trying to quantify it in our scenario. Um, As opposed to just thinking about Torah and thinking about God, you're actually cleaning up God's world. So that's a beautiful thing. My, my, I'm, I'm, I just want to better think, is that an example of... I need to think more about that. That's, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I like that example. Um, I, I remember many years ago I was in um, this place in New York City. And it was, I think it was Sheep, Sheep's Head Bay. Oh, that's where I was born. So they have a beach there, you know, and it would be a nice beach, but it was littered with glass and who knows needles and you know, all kinds of stuff. You know, so what, what could have been a beautiful beach was a mess. And that, that was maybe thirty years ago. <laughs> I don't know what it's worse now. But there's an important separation here, as I understand it, and I know you will correct me if I am wrong. You don't gain points, for lack of a better descriptor, by saying, it says I can have wine on Shabbos, but I'll do Kiddush over grape juice. Why should I have wine? I'll just deprive myself a little there by gaining virtue. That's not what it means. It means that when you have the chance to push yourself a little above and beyond for the sake of Hashem, that you benefit thereby as much as Hashem does because Hashem doesn't need us beyond what he expects of us but if you if you emphasize the godliness in your nature by truly being godly as opposed to depriving yourself you deprive yourself you're committing a sin so you have to differentiate very carefully as to what it means by elevating yourself by pushing above and beyond and not by depriving yourself materially because that's not the point is that fair? Well, I want to share a thought and you'll, let's see if it connects. All right. Our chapter here is telling us something. This conversation is great because I think it's actually, it's going to bring out the uniqueness of our chapter here. In this chapter, we're not telling you something special that you get for doing a mitzvah. In other words, if you want to say, let's take your example. The beach is dirty, it's a mess, and it's even dangerous. So that is actually something, that's a mitzvah to go ahead and make sure that it's going to be a safe place for everyone to go to. The example we're talk, talking about here is when you don't need to do something and you go ahead and say, just to subdue the evil within me, I'm going to go ahead and do this. It's a very specific example. These two these two amazing things that happen that you draw down the greatest levels of godliness and that God gives you this aid we're not saying here you get that for doing a mitzvah we're saying you get that for a specific act the specific act is for subduing evil by holding yourself back from something permissible so to take your example 
If you say it's permissible and, and not important to pick up something on the floor, and you're doing it to subdue the evil, then it would be then you would be correct that the that what we're discussing here would apply. But if you say that that's an expectation, that if you see something, if you see a mess, you see something that's not appropriate, the expectation is to deal with it. That will be a mitzvah, will be positive, but the aspects of our chapter will not apply. Okay. Does does that it does, does, does that fit in? <clears throat> so so again, what we're learning here is the uniqueness of subduing evil by withholding yourself from doing something permissible. And that's why I gave very specific examples, because it's, it's a very limited category. The specific examples were holding yourself back, um, or postponing your eating for an hour, when you're allowed to go ahead and think one thing. There's no reason you can't go ahead and appreciate the glory of God's nature. But a step further would be to actually take this moment and think about something, um, think about a divine inspiration. That's kind of a step further. These would be specific examples. Does, does, does that make sense, Dr. Malov? Yeah. Yes, it David. Is, it is the struggle that makes it possible for us to perform the divine commandment of conquering our evil inclination and fulfilling the verse, do not turn aside. This is the essence of the Benini, God's warrior. God wants such a person to struggle, to stand at the battlefront, and to proceed from one victory to the next. With each victory, each acquisition of strength and subjugation of the Sitra the glory of God is elevated, and that elevation transcends all other praise. Well, actually, that's also a fair summary. That as a Bainini, the, the, the message of the average person is, unfortunately, to constantly struggle. But they constantly win the struggle. So, so let's put it all together. We're going to conclude this by singing the Bain and Enigin. Okay, so to put it all together. We may constantly fight, but every time we are, we, we're victorious, and specifically when we're victorious and even uh, things that are permissible. For example, another example is, there's so many types of food you could eat. This, today, kosher food is all out there. But you could say that rather than eating the most delightful thing that comes to my mind, which is 100% kosher, I'm going to go ahead and focus on something that's going to give me great sustenance, and this eating is for the sake of God. Okay, so this would be another example. Again, there's a lot of kosher food out there, but you could really dig into it. So you take a step back and you say, right now, this particular dinner, I'm going to focus on eating a really healthy dinner that's going to give me the sustenance I need, and it's focused for God. So all of a sudden, you've taken your dinner to a whole new level. When we do that, we're also accomplishing much greater things in heaven. I'd like to sing the Bainani Nigan together, and with this we're going to conclude chapter 27. Any, any questions? Okay, let's sing the Bainani Nigan. We've sung it a few times. Hopefully by now you know it. 